the scripture that we're going to consider this morning together is in Mark chapter 1, and it's verses 40 to 45. So if you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, we're finishing the first chapter of Mark. It's been several months that we've been making progress through it, and this morning we come to the close of the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 40 to 45, and I would ask you to please stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Once I've read it, I'm going to say this is the Word of the Lord, and we'll respond together. Thanks be to God. Mark chapter 1. And a leper came to him, that is the Lord Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, friends, we, we are returning yet again to the Gospel of Mark this morning. We are returning together this morning to worship the Lord. We are returning to the Scriptures. We're returning to listen to somebody preach. We're going to sing songs and pray and read the Scriptures, some passages that we're very familiar with. It is our routine to come together as a church and worship. It's a good thing that it is our routine to come together, to gather as a people of God. But there is, of course, a danger, uh, and that danger is that things would start to become merely routine, that we'd come together and we would sing the same old songs and we would read the same old passages and we'd, we'd listen to yet another sermon and the great truths of the gospel would wash over us uh, with very little, very little effect on us. We would hear it again and say, yes, yes, of course. But our hearts would be strangely unmoved by the truth. This encounter that we're coming to in, in Mark chapter 1, this encounter with this leper, it, it is just one of many instances of healing that take place in the gospel. And we can presume one of many, many instances of healing that the Lord Jesus actually uh, performed during his earthly ministry. He's traveling around the villages of Galilee. He's, he's preaching. He's casting out demons. And this leper comes to him, and he heals the leper. Now, what is the significance of him healing this leper? Surely he healed many lepers. Surely he healed many people. Not all of them are treated to a, a whole paragraph in Mark's gospel this way. Mark is very careful with his words. Why? is this recorded in detail here. And the Lord Jesus, we know, he came out to preach. He said that in verse 38 of the same chapter that we looked at a few weeks ago. Let us go on to the next town that I may preach 
there also, for that is why I came out. He came to teach and to proclaim this great gospel message. But as we've noted already, the gospel message that the Lord Jesus has been preaching, he also demonstrates and confirms in his acts, in his works. It's not really two things that he's doing. It's not that he's, he's teaching over here and then he's healing over here and performing miracles. It is that he's teaching the truth and then he is demonstrating the truth really is true. When I say that I can heal you, I can heal you. When I say I'm the king, I really am. When I say your sins are forgiven you, as we'll look at the passage next week, and I say pick up your bed, rise and walk, I mean it. It's really the truth. And through that lens, when we're understanding things that way, we come to this text, and this is not just yet another sort of random instance of Jesus healing somebody. Rather, this miracle, his healing the leper, is yet another demonstration of that great gospel truth that he's preaching, which is that he is the king and he has come to save sinners. And he's come to really save them. By considering this leper's healing this morning in this passage, we will be helped to be more grateful for our own salvation and the healing that he has undertaken in our own souls. We're going to look at this instance here through that lens, a demonstration of that gospel truth that the Lord Jesus himself has been preaching. And see if it doesn't help us to be stirred in our gratitude and our faith. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that the leper here, this man with leprosy that comes to the Lord Jesus, he, he is a picture of a sinner before God. Mark begins this section by saying, and a leper came to him. This man approaches Jesus, and that is quite an understatement from Mark. The leper came to him. Some of you probably have heard enough sermons over the years to know that this condition, leprosy, was a very significant one. It was a, a serious illness. It was a disease of the skin, and like all skin disease, it was difficult to treat, very difficult to cure. In fact, leprosy was incurable at this time. It was contagious, very contagious, and the effects of it were, were pretty horrifying. The effects on a, a person's physical body and their appearance when they were suffering from leprosy uh, were, were painful and difficult, made them something of an outcast in society, and in the end, the effect was, uh, was fatal. A person with leprosy was robbed of their health, they were robbed of their place in the community, they were robbed of their dignity, and eventually their very life. We don't see leprosy in Roanoke, Virginia very much. But in the ancient world, it was a common sight. And the response to somebody with leprosy, you see demonstrated all the way back in Numbers chapter 12, you remember Miriam was struck with leprosy, Moses' sister. And in Numbers 12, we read this. When the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. 
And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Please. You see something of the, the response there of these two brothers to their sister Miriam stricken with leprosy. They do not say, Oh goodness, she has the flu. She is as one who is already dead, half eaten by this disease. Again, Mark understates the situation when he says, and a leper came to him. This leper, according to Levitical law, would have been commanded to stay outside uh, of the community, a distance away from everyone. It would be highly offensive that he would approach Jesus like this, and particularly in a large crowd of people, that he would be so bold as to come in to where everybody was gathered around the Lord and approach him. In, in Leviticus chapter 13, there is Leviticus 13 and 14 are a, a, a long section giving laws about skin disease in the community. And in verse 45, we read this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside of the camp. That's the state of this man. Luke tells us in his gospel that this particular man was, Luke describes him as being full of leprosy, full of it, corrupted by it. I think probably if we were there in the crowd, even if we didn't see him coming, we would have smelled him coming. And the people around him would have recoiled at his presence, and rightly so. I mean, remember that this is, this is not just a social stigma. This is a highly contagious disease that cannot be cured. They would have recoiled from him. We would have recoiled from him if we were there when he approached. You may remember a, a few years ago, uh, there was one of, one of those significant Ebola scares on the continent of Africa. More than a scare. People lost their lives. And there were a few instances where that, that horrible disease uh, appeared here in the United States. Doctors that had been traveling, nurses that had been traveling, came back, and it was here. And the way people responded to that, the, the horror. I mean, imagine if this morning here in this room, as soon as the service is over and we're standing around milling and talking to each other, somebody that you knew was suffering from that disease, Ebola, they'd just come back from Africa and they had it, and they walked into the room coughing. <laughs> How would we respond? Our friends, we would recoil from them. Right? This picture of the man with leprosy, it's a sobering picture in the flesh. But even more so, it's sobering because the man is a picture of the spiritual state of all who are sinners before God. Isaiah chapter 64 Another well-known passage. Isaiah puts it like this. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 
when Isaiah, when the Lord, through Isaiah, is describing the state of his people in sin, he describes them as being unclean. That very word that the leper was to cry out about himself, the Lord cries out about them. The Lord cries out about us, unclean. Human beings, men and women in sin, are very much like this leper in that way. You know that we are we are those made in God's image. We were made in perfection and goodness and yet fallen in sin. Our first parents' disobedience and passed on to us. We know that sin is a failure to meet God's standard. We know that sin is a falling short of the mark. We know that, that sin is a, a missing of the mark of righteousness. And more so than that, sin, sin is more than just some mistakes that we've made. It is our inability to meet God's righteous rules and standards. It is a certain brokenness of our heart and soul. All of this is true. We must remember, though, that sin is more than just falling short. It's more than just inability. Our sin against God is a sort of moral evil in a way that is, that is offensive to the holiness of God. That is a foulness and an uncleanness before our God who is holy. I mean, doesn't the Bible describe sin this way? You remember that place in the Proverbs where the, the dog returning to its vomit is compared to what? Somebody returning to their sin. A fool returning to his folly. You may have read... Uh, those passages, there are many of them in the prophets, the major and minor prophets, where the sin of God's people is illustrated and depicted in terms of sexual perversity that uh, you know can't be read aloud in Sunday school. There are some passages where the Lord uses imagery to depict the, the foulness, the offensiveness of the sins of His people, of their adultery against Him, to communicate this quality of Remember in the upper room when the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's going to wash their feet. And he says, you would be unclean if it were not for the word that I had spoken to you. Like leprosy, sin is a disease, it is a disability in our souls, but it is also a sort of filth in us. It is also a sort of infection that corrupts us. It doesn't just need to be healed. It also needs to be cleansed. This leper needs to be healed. But you'll notice in the text, four or five times, Mark describes it as cleansing. The leper came imploring him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It's cleansing that is emphasized here. And so it is with sin. The fact that we come before God as sinners, it does not just mean that we are inadequate and need to be fixed. It means that we are filthy and need to be cleansed. We need to be washed and made new. Now, friends, that is hard to, for us to grasp. It's easy to forget, in part because it's easy for us to forget that God is holy. It's easiest for us to forget that He is separate, that He is unmixed from sin. We always are inclined to project ourselves on God and think of Him like us. 
But friends, the very best of us on our very best days are still lousy with corruption and mixed motives and mixed hearts. The Lord is never like that. He who is in heaven is almighty and generous and righteous and just. He is all-knowing and all of His commands to us are good. That we love Him and love one another. That we speak the truth and deal justly with each other. That we honor our parents. That we forgive one another. For creatures like us made in His image and dependent upon His mercy to disregard Him, to exalt ourselves in His place, using His undeserved gifts to us to do so, I mean, it is to throw all of His generosity back in His face. And it is offensive in that way. It is shameful in that way. It is kind of a... It is a kind of moral uncleanness to rebel against our God and exalt ourselves. And in that sense, it is kind of repulsive. I've been trying to think of a way to illustrate this to you. And uh, as, as is often the case, I want to use a situation in our home life involving our children to illustrate it. The other day, on my day off, my wife was off running some errands, and I was at home with the, with the kids. And um, they were busy doing, the kids, older kids were doing some stuff, and I was trying to keep the little ones distracted, and I was going to do some cleaning in the kitchen. I was going to do the dishes and put things away. I was going to clean up the floor a little bit, you know. Uh, And as I was cleaning, um, Jubilee, our youngest child, uh, almost two years old, she was in the kitchen with me, sitting on the floor behind me. And uh, kind of talking to me and doing some stuff. And, and uh, at one point I turned around and I noticed that she had had a massive blowout diaper. And it was leaking through the clothes that she was wearing and you know, kind of smearing around on the floor around her. Uh, you know, the floor that I was hoping would be more clean when Gretchen came home than when she's left. Uh, and I, you know, washing the dish, I turned around and I ah! You know, and I kind of get her, and I picked her up, and I, you know, held her like this, and I took her over to, you know, somewhere, and I, I tried to clean her up and pull the onesie off over her head, and you know, you know how that stuff goes. It's just a nightmare. So, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get her cleaned up, and um, I do so, and I clean up on the floor, and then I get back to what I was doing, and then the, uh, the dog comes in, and uh, some of you know we have a very puffy little uh, Maltese toy poodle mix that's like, he's like seven pounds, he's like a little bedroom slipper, and he's, uh, he's white, uh, and he had, I had not disposed of the diaper properly, and he'd gotten into it, and, uh, and he was perpetrating a mess of his own, so I get the dog, and I, the dog needs a bath right then and there. And uh, as soon as I give the dog a bath and dry the dog off and clean up the mess that he had made, uh, my youngest son walks into the room. He's in the middle of being potty trained, and he says, uh, I pooped. And he is, uh, he's not wearing a diaper. And uh, there was uh, another mess. Right? So um, my point in all of this was that though I love my children, I even, in a sense, love the dog. I found what they were doing revolting. I found the, the, what they had produced uh, disgusting. 
You know, like my gag reflex was activated at various times during this cleanup process. Like, I loved them very much, but what they were producing was foul. And I was, by the time it was over with, I was not only disgusted, I was kind of angry. Now, they did not know what they were doing. Not even the dog. Right. They were. They did not have a sense of of what they were doing. Now, imagine for a second if they had been doing that willingly. Imagine if my one year old daughter, if our sweet little dog, if my three year old son, imagine if they knew what they were doing and they deliberately had made that mess just to provoke me. Imagine how much more revolting that would be. How much more frustrated I would be. You see what I'm describing here? This is what our sin is like before God. When we do what He has forbidden, when we neglect what He has commanded, when we ignore Him, when we grumble with ingratitude against Him and we exalt ourselves over Him, etc., etc., there is a certain foulness about it. There's a moral filth to it. It is offensive behavior that would be rightly repulsive to Him that we would foul his good earth and creation with our rebellion. You know, sometimes I think we imagine ourselves you know, walking around in God's good creation like we deserve better treatment than we're getting. You know, like we are the nexus of some sort of uh, you know, special wonderfulness that is radiating off of us, and things should be going better for me than they are, and I wonder why they're not going that way. I think through, the, through a biblical lens, we're... We are letting off fumes, but they're not perfume. Our rebellion against God is a sort of noxious stench. And when we walk around on the earth thinking of ourselves as high and mighty and exalted, when we walk around on His earth with ingratitude in our hearts and sin against Him in our thought and our words and our deeds, there is a sort of uh, stench about that. It doesn't fit with a good creation that he has made. Friends, do you understand your sin to be like that? Do you think of your sin in terms like that? Or, or have you somehow convinced yourself that it is not, not that bad, not so bad? We can easily reduce the foulness of our sin and our rebellion against God. We can sanitize it. We can make it very reasonable. We can make it understandable even. It's just imperfections. Nobody's perfect. We can even make our sin into something that's expected. Of course, what's the big deal? And then, of course, his forgiveness is expected also, right? That's what he does. As if it makes all the sense in the world that he would forgive us, that he would receive us, that he would embrace us in our sin. As if we deserve his compassion. We reduce the sinfulness of our sin, and suddenly forgiveness is nothing special at all. It's what's expected of God. And His holiness starts to mean nothing to us. Instead of coming to Him on our knees, as this leper did, aware of His uncleanness, we come before the Lord and say, well, you know, let's see what you can do. I'll be the judge of whether this is true or not. Do, do what you can do. As if we're doing Him a favor. Friends, there's a reason that the Lord Jesus said that those who mourn are blessed in Matthew chapter 5. 
those who are willing to face the facts about the state of our own souls are blessed. And friends, the facts are not pleasant. It's leprosy that we have in the soul, and we're full of it. God should, in a sense, be repulsed by sinners. He should be repulsed by me. My sin against him is like leprosy. I am full of it. And it's not just external. It's the thoughts and desires of the heart. It's corruption all the way down. I've said this before. I used to think of my sin when I was first exposed to the gospel. I used to think of my sin as just some areas that needed to be tweaked, some dirt that needed to be washed off. But as I have been in Christ for years and decades now, and I've understood the scriptures more and more, I understand that that corruption goes all the way down. The rot goes all the way down. And I sometimes look at myself in my own sin and I recoil. Have you had that experience? Where you see the desires of your own heart or you look at your own behavior, you look at what you did yesterday or last night and you feel the revulsion against that. It's right for God to be disgusted with us as we would have been with this leper who walked into the crowd, as Christ should have been with this leper when he walked up to him. But that brings us to the second point that I want to make. In Christ's response to this leper, we see a picture of God's heart towards sinners, and it is not what you expect. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Incredibly, our Lord is not repulsed by this man, but rather he has a tender heart towards him. The Lord Jesus' actions here are just as scandalous as the leper's, in that he reaches out and he touches him. Mark tells us he's moved with pity towards him. When he looks at this man, he is not choking back the gag reflex like we would be like we sometimes are about ourselves. But his heart is moved with pity for this one. It's not just a feeling. It doesn't just say he felt compassion. He's moved with pity. His heart goes out to this man. Where all others in the crowd surely pull back, Christ moves forward towards him in his uncleanness. And not only that, he touches him, the Scriptures say. This unnecessary act of compassion. He doesn't need to touch him to heal him. You know that. And you've probably heard preachers muse about this before. It might have been a long time since anybody touched this man. But the Lord Jesus reaches out and touches him. That surely would have been unimaginable. I mean, I think probably if we'd been in there in the crowd, we might have gasped. What is he doing? He touches the man. He reaches across the divide. This physical, social, spiritual divide. He crosses this breach and he touches the man and then he says, I will. He puts that his heart and his touch into words and he makes it crystal clear. I will clean you. Be clean. And the man is healed. Again, it's so easy to skim right over this in the text, but imagine what that would have been like. I mean, this was an illness that was visible externally. You could see the leprosy on him. 
And then the leprosy leaves and the man's made clean. I mean, people would have seen it with their eyes. It would have been marvelous to see. To see this man made whole and standing before them. Where there was a leper before, now there is a man made clean. And friends, uh, just like the leper is a picture of us in our sins, so here, astoundingly, we have a picture of the heart of God towards sinners. God who should rightly be repulsed by us. Instead, He looks on sinners in love. That's what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, right? While we were yet sinners, He loved us, He died for us. While we were so offensive, so noxious before Him, a stench to Him, He does not recoil. But His heart is moved towards us in pity and mercy. And it's not just a feeling that He has. God does reach out to sinners, and He actually does far more than just the touch that Jesus demonstrates here. I mean, God's reaching out to sinners is what the incarnation is all about. He doesn't just—he doesn't—he doesn't come to the human race the way I came to my daughter the other day and picked her up as far away as I could hold her and move her somewhere else. God comes and puts on flesh with us, fallen flesh. He comes and he, he embraces the human race in our sin as much as anyone could ever embrace it. He crosses the divide and takes our flesh on himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he speaks just the way Christ speaks here. I will be clean. Christ speaks the heart of the Father. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him will have eternal life, will not perish. In Matthew chapter 11, all who are weary, come to Me and I will give you rest. In John chapter 7, if you're thirsty, come to Me and I'll give you drink. The Word He speaks is the confirmation of the touch and the heart of God. It's true. I will be clean. And not only that, the loudest word is that word of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, it says that, that the blood that was shed that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The cross speaks. When the Lord Jesus goes there and dies, He shows the heart of the Father. He shows the willingness to reach out and touch those who are unclean when He takes our sin on Himself. And the declaration from the cross, when He calls out to God and gives up His Spirit in our place, is the clearest declaration there could ever be. I will be clean. I am willing. The leper was not doubting whether he could. He doubted whether he would. And maybe you're in that place. Surely you know that he can't. He who made the universe, he can forgive me. But will he though? The cross is that word that speaks, I will. This is how far I'm willing to go. Be clean. Friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that the same Lord who healed this man with leprosy will touch your soul and heal you if you come to Him? That not only can He, but He will. The one who parted the sea and spoke from Sinai, He will heal sinners who come to Him for mercy, no matter how foul they are. Do you believe, friends, that at this very moment, if you take your foul and sinful soul to Him, 
in faith, He will wash you by the power of His cleansing blood. If you take your sins under the blood of Christ, they'd be forgiven, all of them. He will do it now. Do you believe that? There is a fountain filled with blood. And there am I, though foul as He, washed all my sins away. He will. Sin is a foul, obnoxious thing, a stench before God. Oh, but friends, Paul was a worse sinner than you. Right? We won't go into the details. The apostle Peter denied the Lord three times in his hour of need. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Zacchaeus was greedier than anybody here and a thief. John Newton was a slave trader. All of them had souls that were filled with leprosy, spiritually speaking. And yet each one of them in going to Christ found healing and cleansing and were made new. Now the last thing that I want to say to you, we'll be brief about this. The aftermath of this cleansing is a picture of the cost of our salvation. You know, Mark could have stopped right there. There's this foul leper that comes before the Lord. He says, will you cleanse me? And he says, I will, and he's cleansed. Amen. But Mark goes on. And it's not that Mark is rambling. You know, we've, we know this already. Mark doesn't ramble. He doesn't throw around extra words. There's a reason for everything that he says here in this gospel. Christ gives this man stern instructions. Do not say anything to anybody about this. Keep it a secret what's happened to you, except you need to go to the priests, report to them, show them that you've been cleansed, make the sacrifice in accordance with the law. You've got to, the priests functioned in that way as sort of like a health inspector. And I've been talking to Rob Irwin lately, and you know, when a dog, when a dog bites somebody and you've got to figure out whether it's got rabies or not, you need this, a health inspector to come and check it off. This is clean. The dog doesn't have rabies because it's a danger to the community, right? Well, it's the same thing with leprosy. You need a, an official, the priest, to say, yes, this guy's clean. He can come back in. So Jesus says, go tell them, but don't tell anybody else. Well, we're not told about whether he obeyed in going to the priest or not, but we are told that this man disobeyed the command to silence. He goes and starts broadcasting it everywhere and telling everybody about what Christ did. And that has negative consequences for Jesus. In his ministry, rather than going into city centers as he has been, into communities and preaching the gospel, now he's got to stay outside because the crowds are all after him and people have to come to him to hear the preaching. It's chaos when he goes in cities and he has to stay out. And it makes it harder to preach the gospel. Well, why does Mark tell us this? What is the point of this? Right. I mean, it is something about Christ's honor for the law. There is something about Christ's desire not yet to be revealed, which we're going to get to in a few weeks here. But there's another point to this, I think. When we look, when we look at this text through this lens of an illustration of the gospel that Jesus is preaching, because what Mark describes here is that the consequences of Jesus healing this man involve Jesus trading places with him. At the beginning of our account here, the man is unclean. And he's out in the wilderness and he cannot come in. And the Lord Jesus is in the midst of everything. And what's happened at the end? Well, the man is clean. And he's welcomed back into the community. But where is Jesus now? Jesus is standing outside. 
Jesus is an outcast. Jesus is in the outskirts, unable to come in. He was on the inside and the man was on the outside. And in the process of healing him, the two switched places. This leper is made clean by the power of the Lord and brought in. And in the process, the Lord ends up casting himself out. This is the cost, the price he pays in healing this man. He knew what he would do. He knew that he himself must suffer. And so it is with us, friends. The Lord Jesus can forgive. He will forgive. He will cleanse us. But so he must pay the price to do so. He must take our place and pour out his blood for us. As I said, our sin is not just a disease. It is not just brokenness. It is a moral evil that must be punished. Justice must be done for sinners. And in order to cleanse us, in order for us to live and be forgiven, Jesus Christ himself must bear our disease. He must shoulder the filth of it himself. He must take our place. As 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 puts it, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a trading of places that happens. Here is the full expression of the love of our Lord Jesus towards sinners. It's not just His willingness to reach down and to heal us, like a benevolent king dispensing His power. It is that. But even more so, unimaginably, he's willing to actually trade places with the sinner. He's willing to actually take that disease into himself and to die for our cleansing. That's what the cross is about. Him bearing the burden. You see, you see how marvelous it is what Mark is describing. Christ, not only does he not recoil from the man, his heart goes out to him. But in the end, he is willing to even take his place. Friends, that is what the gospel is all about. But the Lord God looks at us, sinners though we are, and his heart is tender towards us in love. He is willing to receive us, to touch us, and make us clean. In fact, he is so willing that he would die. That he would take our filth on himself. And he would go to the grave for us that we might be clean and welcome home. Brothers and sisters, I'll end by just asking this. Have you forgotten what he's done for you? Have you forgotten what state you were in apart from him? As I said earlier, it's very easy to forget. It's easy to forget how, how holy God is and to make my sin a light thing, just imperfections. Have you forgotten what undeserved compassion you've received from Him? Have you forgotten how marvelous it is that He would draw near to you and heal you in your sin? Have you forgotten what it cost Him? The price He paid in order for you to be cleansed. That is the gospel, and it is a wonderful thing. And friends, if you're here today and you have never believed that, Will you believe it today? Will you believe that not only can he forgive you, 
but he will forgive you. That the word of the cross echoes just as loudly today as it ever did. He's willing to take your place. He's willing to pour out his blood for your sins that you will be received as you come. And by faith you come to him and you hear those words this leper heard. I will. Be clean. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the kindness that you've shown us in the gospel. We thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. And oh, Jesus, thank you for healing this man. Thank you for receiving him. Thank you for being willing to make him clean. And oh, Christ, thank you for being willing to make us clean. We have a hard time appreciating the foulness of our sin. But oh, thank you so much for loving us despite it. Thank you for so, so much for loving us through it and even transforming us by your own willingness to submit to the judgment we deserve. Have mercy on us, Lord. May we come to you humbly as this leper did and seek your mercy and your help, knowing we cannot save ourselves. And, oh, Christ, we pray that you'd help us to be grateful. Help us to be glad that we have been healed. Help us to appreciate the life undeserved that's given to us. Make us a people that rejoice in our salvation, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.